suicide game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Morahan, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of informative, instructive, educational, and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today we return to Part three of the episodic adventure entitled The Man Whom Women Loved. This multi-episodic adventure is the story of a childlike existence in the adult body and libido of a celebrity wildlife and fashion model photographer known to us as Peter Beard. It was a rather kaleidoscopic ADHD romp through life, a life fueled by alcohol, illicit drugs, innumerable women, and other people's money. A peripatetic journey through Africa, Europe, Asia, and of course, Manhattan, which is a world unto itself. We left off in part two of the Peter Beard story with oblique reference to the the rather high culture debate as to whether or not photography is or is not, was or was not an art form. That the esteemed auction house Christie's might put, put out to bid a photo of Beard for $120,000 suggests to me that they, at least, in and in the mind of some collectors, Photography was indeed qualified as an art form worthy of significant investment. The ask alone signifies in and of itself, it's a prima facie case that photography is an art form, no matter what some people might otherwise claim. However, I remain unable to let this dispute among the cognoscenti of high society pass without making a few comments. Comments I would think would be judged as emanating from the mind of, and which is representative of, the vast class of the under society, the great unwashed, the unknowing, the unseeing. The uncultured, the unthinking, non-discerning hoi polloi, of which I am a member. Some might even refer to us as being from that long line of, of detestable creatures, God help us, those unteachable, despicable, unfortunates that come from that, that basket of deplorables. Uh-oh. But but that term, I think, has been taken forever, I'd say. Someone else has trademarked that phrase. Still, I submit that this 20th, 21st century controversy about whether photography qualifies as a true form of art or not appears to me just just a rather arcane subject matter. The equivalent of either one, Early Christian disputes turned violent, you know, murderous even, when 
proponents of Arianism maintained that Jesus, the Son of God, was created by God the Father, and therefore Jesus wasn't either co-eternal with the Father or consubstantial with the Father. In other words, this Holy Trinity's thing did not um, consist of three co-equal entities. Holy shit. These were, fi- these were fighting words. You know, fanatics actually killed each other over this inane, insane, irresolvable, unprovable, theoretical, religious nonsense. Or if you prefer, there's this craziness. Number two, how much more arcane does it get than when the great mind that was Thomas Aquinas so respected that he calculated precisely how many angels might dance on the head of a pin. Oh my God, are you kidding me? In in modern context, these kinds of arcane arguments have disappeared from theological debate except in rabbinical studies of the Torah or in deciding whether some term of common usage now qualifies as hateful speech to some subset of the population which finds more and more of the human language to be totally offensive and therefore unusable. Never in public, for example, can you ever now utter the phrase, supposedly, that you kill two birds with one a stone. This is offensive to pedotypes. Never call a spy a spook. Well, self-evident. This sort of nonsense. Mostly these kind of, of arcane arguments are just diversionary pathways that wander away from the real issues that impact life, that one confronts in life and, and, and are used by rather useless people and are only of value to as metaphors for wasting time. You know, debating, arguing, condemning. Issues of, of no practical value or asking questions, the answers to which hold no intellectual consequence whatsoever. While, while more urgent concerns percolate. So it is in that spirit that we don't give a crap as to whether photography is, was, or will be an art form, art or not. You know, so in thinking of these things, what about NFT digital art, autographs of Tom Brady, or a tweet by Elon Musk or Jack Dorsey? Why would it be worth anything monetarily? And yet thousands, if not millions of dollars, are paid for this stuff. So anyway, we move on. Artist or art or non-artist, it is no noteworthy that during the course of his life, Peter Beard famously never carried a single credit card, nor did he even bother to carry cash. And why would he? He was always fully expected that someone else, lucky enough to have been permitted to have been in his presence, would pick up the extravagant dinner or liquor tab, run it, run up at some of the world's finest restaurants, bistros, lounges, any of these establishments. And 
And why would Beard not think this way? People always picked up the bill when Beard was around. He was Pavlovian, you might say, in his expectations, and he had learned by experience. You know, with a discerning taste in fine wine and liquors and a taste for fine foods to match. Beard was unconcerned with either the cost of the fare nor payment for it. It was not his problem. Forget Ayn Rand and individual responsibility and all that stuff. Beard's behavior was, was beyond even the kind of socialism that Margaret Thatcher had so famously railed about. You know, Thatcher had defined the problem of socialism as being eventually you ran out of other people's money. Well, Beard was going to run out of anybody else's money. If And by the way, if and when Beard ever found himself in the improbably rare, totally unexpected and unfortunate, unfortunate circumstance at the end of a long evening or in the early morning hours, more likely, wherein no one participating in the soiree that had ended had already paid the sizable bill. They had already left the premises, leaving only Beard there to be presented with the sizable check that had been built up during the course of the evening. And, and Beard would suggest that the bill be eaten by the owner, lucky enough to have been chosen to have been the venue of Peter Beard's soiree. Or remaining unconvinced by the wisdom of that argument, then Beard would suggest that the bill ought to be placed on his running tab, a tab that would never be paid. At some point in time, restaurateurs would be forced to recognize that Peter Beard had no money, and he had even lesser interest in ever paying his outstanding, growing tab that stood like a cancer upon their body. Worse still, you know, Beard didn't seem to believe that he should ever have been presented a bill to pay in the first place and didn't seem to grasp the fundamental principle that one ought to, one need pay one's own bills. No, ultimately in lieu of cash payment as a last resort, Beard eventually would suggest to you know, exasperated uh, restaurateurs, the owners of the bistro or the bar, that they accept a beard photo or montage of his photos as payment for the outstanding balances, his tab. Forget cash. That was never going to happen. And taking a dinner customer to court over unpaid dinner bills, even substantial ones of the kind that beer would run up, just isn't a practical solution for the average restaurateur or bistro owner. It's just not going to happen, especially when the deadbeat is a famous celebrity likely to respond by, by boycotting your business, bad-mouthing you to all his rich, famous, influential friends. And, 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 and he would take himself and lead other hangers-on of his elsewhere. You're not going to get the money, and you're never going to get the customers again. Hence, Beard works of art, of, of which there existed potentially tens of thousands of photos and photo montages, 
of which nobody knew how many there were in reality. Nobody, not even Beard himself. After all, he was a famous photographer who'd taken thousands upon thousands of rolls of film. Beard photos and photo montages therefore decorated many a lounge, many a bistro, many a restaurant walls, and just maybe, maybe not, but maybe someday they might be worth a lot of money. One could never be, never know for sure. You just couldn't know. But what was certain, however, was that the lounge, bistro, the restaurant owner wasn't ever going to get his hands on as, as NFL Hall of Famer Randy Moss once so, artic- once so articulately defined the stuff as cash money, homie, cash money. But that bistro owner, having accepted a photo from Peter Beard in lieu of cash, might at some future point in time, he might learn that he had actually in his possession, in the slot machine that is life, have gotten hold of something that hang, that was hanging on his walls, his establishment walls, something that was worth, well, a small fortune. Maybe even, you know, it's a jackpot. Who could know? It's like finding out that you owned a Bitcoin from 2012. Who knew? Well, Better the long odds, you know, associated with taking a Peter Beard photo in lieu of cash than trying to squeeze blood from a turnip. It's not going to happen. You know, that Peter Beard could live a, a full adult life in such fashion in Manhattan and Paris and Africa and Asia for 50 years plus as an adult when he wasn't in his tented safari camp in the bush outside Nairobi at his ranch called Thunderbolt in Montauk where the wild things were literally or in Paris. It is is a testament to the value that is placed by people on proximity to celebrity and the generosity of hundreds of women whom opened their pocketbooks, well, and themselves as well, to a man whom whom dressed only a bit more fashionably than did a homeless man or, say, a pathetic Eddie Van Halen in the last years of his life. Beard, you know, Beard lived, laughed, parties, did drugs, and drank with A-listers for sure. He had an enviable, most impressive social mobility. You and I should only wish for such. He was he was present in Montauk Bay when Lee Radswell, you know, Jackie O's sister, was there to conduct an exclusive interview with Mick Jagger for Andy Warhol's interview magazine. A big deal at the time. Also present at that moment was Truman Capote, the little weirdo. And it didn't take long for <laughs> the man Keith Richards once claimed was the only man in the world who could, without prior notice, gain an audience with every important person on planet Earth. Something I believe, believe was totally true of Mick Jagger for, for at least 30 years, and it might still even be true as he approaches 80. It didn't take long by the way, for Jagger to grow impatient with and then demonstrate an immense, total, intense dislike and disdain for Truman Capote's distasteful camp 
you know, affected, over-the-top mannerisms. Jagger wasn't having it, and he wasn't shy about expressing the degree of his disregard for the truly very weird dude that was Truman Capote to fellow revelers at Thunderbolt Ranch. And Capote responded, as might be expected, you know, in kind, calling Jagger a scared little boy. Okay, maybe he was. But then he said of Mick Jagger, he was a man as sexy as a pissing toad. I mean, this is strange, strange imagery, even from a man as weird as was Truman Capote. A sexy as a pissing toad? Whew. Andy Warhol also later claimed that Mick Jagger put Montauk Bay, Long Island, on the map. And it certainly didn't hurt Peter Beard's brand uh, uh, or take anything away from his skill with the ladies that he hung with Jagger at a small local pub in Montauk Bay. Now, not, to, not that Beard actually needed more runway when it came to women with or without the sexiest man in rock and roll. All of rock and roll. It's, <laughs> I, I guess I would say, it's not, it's not even clear to me, perfect, it's not perfectly clear who was the wingman for, for who when Jagger and Beard, these two satyrs, occupied the same premise. Hmm. It says something about the staying power of Peter Beard that he might hang with Jagger. Women found Peter Beard magnetic. How magnetic? Well, there's a, what's called a magnistar. A magnetic neutron star known as soft gamma repeater 1806-20. Very strange name. And it is the most powerful known magnetic object in the universe. Only 10 of these, you know, out-of-galaxy bodies have, have been discovered to date. Such was the gravitational attraction of Peter Beard's body. He may have existed as the 12th magnetar. 12th. Assuming, I think, rightfully so, that Mick Jagger was number 11. In any event, women gladly paid Peter Beard's bills, and they loved him more for having done so. One of um, Beard's three wives, supermodel Cheryl Teagues, you might remember her from the Sports Illustrated uh, cover when she was wearing that kind of string net bathing suit sort of thing. Um, um, Beard, uh, Teagues broke up her marriage to marry what she called the love of her life, Peter Beard. Okay. And she paid almost all his extravagant bills and gladly. Then, if you would, to try to understand Beard, imagine this um, scenario, and then explain this to me, if you will. Prior to marrying Beard, one night in a fit of anger, according to um, biographer uh, Graham Boynton, who was actually a friend of Peter Beard's, when, when Teagues was a couple of months pregnant, Beard lost it one night, and it just Beard completely lost control of himself. And during one of their frequent arguments, he punched Cheryl Teagues in the stomach with sufficient violence to cause her to miscarry 
Oh my God. But Teagues reported that Peter immediately felt terrible, very badly about what he had done, punching his pregnant girlfriend in the stomach hard enough to cause a miscarriage. And that Beard cried real tears. You might even say crocodile tears, given his African wildlife penchant. And he begged, he begged for forgiveness and promised Peter Beard absolutely promised that he would never, ever, ever again punch Cheryl Teagues in the stomach, ever again. What a, what a man. Then, shortly thereafter, Cheryl Teagues married Peter Beard. I mean, come on. Does it get any crazier than this? And, well, yeah, it does. There's this. On their wedding night, the two honeymooners, Beard and Cheryl Teagues, they stayed at Beard's Thunderbolt Ranch out in Montauk Bay. On night number two of their honeymoon, Beard, he disappeared. And he didn't return until the next morning. Where had he gone? And understandably, uh, distraught, dismayed, frightened Cheryl Teagues, questioned her husband, what happened? Where were you? Who were you with? Where did you go? No dice. Nothing. Beard never offered an explanation, never offered an apology, never explained his disappearance or his behavior. Nope. And not going to do it. I mean, this shit went on for three years until they finally divorced. (laughs) <laughs> I am reminded of, of Buffalo Springfield's famous line in their song, something's happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. But I think, I think the picture is growing clear. We do get the picture and it ain't pretty. So let's end this episode number three of the man whom women loved now. We'll end it now. And we've set the stage for perhaps some reflections on life, lives in context, with a few sidebar sidebar stories, as I always tell, before we return in more granular detail to the life of a famous wildlife photographer, whether he be an artist or not. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day this day after Christmas 2022. And we hope you'll listen to part four of the episodic adventures of Peter Beard when we return. Bye-bye. Inside game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Time can't be returned Misguided and all of my own At least that's what I thought I failed to see that I've been Oh
She 